The football season is reaching its conclusion, and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got a crucial week of fixtures left to play in the Premier League, and with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello listener, I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. Coming up this week, we're going to assess United's performance in their draw West Ham, how confident United are about getting top four on Sunday, and looking at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and whether or not he has problems with squad rotation. As always, we'll be answering your questions at the end, and I'm joined by two of the best Manchester United writers on the planet Earth. First coming up, it's Mr. Laurie Whitwell. Hi Laurie, how are you doing? I'm good, Carl. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Also joining me is the grand soothsayer himself, Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? All good, mate. Looking forward to this. Oh, oh. Looking forward to a one-one draw with David Moyes. Never thought I'd see you day. As ever, listener, you can subscribe to Laurie and Andy's fantastic articles on The Athletic for free for 30 days. All you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod and you can try us out without paying a single penny. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Also there, you'll be able to listen to our entire podcast network, including the Totally Football Show and some other shows, and also enjoy reads from other football clubs or indeed other sports. Apparently, the NBA is back, so that's fun. Right then, gentlemen. Manchester United won. West Ham won. That was a bit awkward. Laurie, describe this game for me. Yeah, it was a really awkward, uh, excruciating at times game. The performance just felt very fatigued and um, United didn't really show themselves as, as they have done in previous weeks. I suppose we've seen flickers of this coming, you know, the Chelsea game. I know that was a little bit of a changed team, but there was there was some energy to start with. Um, I think if they'd gone ahead early, perhaps it would have been a slightly different game. But the way Moyes set West Ham, extremely organised in defence. Declan Rice was very vocal, really organised his teammates very well. Um, and they, they had a threat on the, on the counter, you know, Jared Bowen caused Brandon Williams a lot of difficulty. Difficulties, Mikhail Antonio as well, um, and obviously they, they got ahead in sort of freak circumstances, and and you kind of never really were, were wholly confident that United could come back. There was a lot of shouting by a lot of players. Um, Solskjaer came down at one point because you could tell that the performance was slipping. Um, I was probably surprised that we, he didn't make substitutions earlier. You know, it was I know the half-time substitution. One Basaka Fosumens, who I thought had a, a disappointing game, was the right one. But then, you know, 85 minutes before Igalo came on, I suppose just highlights perhaps that Solskjaer doesn't feel that he's got uh, the tools on the bench to to you know score that extra goal rather than the, the players that he already had out on the pitch. And he sort of alluded to that in his post-match press conference. So, yeah, I, I suppose a, a def, definitely disappointing performance. Although, having said that, the point does still now, as we've seen with the results um, at Anfield and, and the Leicester's defeat at Spurs, it leaves matters in United's own hands going into Sunday. So I suppose in, in, in that way, it is job done. Manchester United are somehow third in the Premier League. But uh, was this a point gained or two points lost, Andy? You have to say it was a point gained. Manchester United moved up to third in the table. United have not been in the top four, let alone third. 
since September when Leicester City were defeated at Old Trafford. Third, going into the final game of the season, a draw is going to be good enough for Champions League football. And everyone's disappointed because the performance against West Ham was, was poor. It was very poor against Chelsea. And it was poor against Southampton at Old Trafford last week. That said, I think you've got to credit Southampton. Chelsea were excellent on Sunday and West Ham were very good at Old Trafford. But if you go back to September, United were closer to relegation than third. There were six points off the top four, 15 points behind Leicester. The goal difference was a measly plus seven. It's now plus 28. And United are now unbeaten still in the league. Uh, since that Burnley defeat at Old Trafford in January. Just to get into the top four, credit has got to be given there. Of course, no one, no one's happy at the moment because the performance was so lacklustre against West Ham. And it baffles me because the team have had a, a break and maybe we'll talk more about this, but is the squad a strong squad? Josie Mourinho, before the first game, back after the lockdown, pointed out, not unreasonably, the strength of Manchester United's bench and players who were on there who would be perceived to have had decent seasons at Old Trafford. And if you look in midfield, OK, it's Pogba and, and Fernandes and Matic. But Fred's had a decent season. Scott McTominay is highly rated. And yet, when a slightly weaker team is played, like it was against Norwich in the FA Cup, like against Chelsea, United look poor, look really poor. Struggle to go through against a Norwich side who can't get a win. And then were easily outclassed uh, against Chelsea. That said, it, it's the so-called star performers, the, the Brunos and the Pogbas, who were so good against the likes of Brighton a few weeks ago, who've looked so average. It looks like the, the, the mentally fatigued. But this is happening every season. This isn't a Solskjaer thing or a Mourinho thing or a Van Hal thing or a Giggs thing or a Moyes thing. Every single season since 2013, when United last won the league, the league season a form at the end of the league has been poor, without exception. I know there's been cup runs, I know there's been cups. I asked Ed Woodward in October why the team blew up last season and he said it was a mental fatigue uh, brought about with the change of the manager as well. Okay, that's his reason. But what about the year before and the year before and the year before? What about this season? Ollie's made a big point of the fitness of his players this season, but they didn't look fit. Maybe it is a mental thing against West Ham, and, and it's only West Ham, you know, I can praise David Moyes, but West Ham have taken four points off Manchester United this season, and if you want to be pushing for titles, you don't go and get battered away at West Ham and then struggle to overcome West Ham at home. You've got to be beating teams like, like West Ham. But third, the, the league table is looking better now than at, than at any point all season, apart from that first day win against Chelsea, and, and I'm pleasantly surprised with that, but I'm not going to complain about it. <laughs> Laurie, they say the league table doesn't lie. Are United the third best side in England right now? <laughs> Very good question. Um, I would, I would say, I would say yes. You have to think that because at, you know at the moment, thirteen games in the Premier League unbeaten. Um, you know they've scored a good number of goals. Um, they've actually you know not letting that many. I know that it's um, sort of you know a, quite a popular thing to sort of um, slate David De Gea and I've criticised him recently and Harry Maguire who I've sort of defended recently but United's um, you know goals against um, total 36, um, City's is 35, Liverpool's is 32 and then that's that's it basically. Sheffield United's is 36 as well so the defence has been actually pretty good this season. Um, the goals are now starting to come um, which was obviously the, the, the problem at the start of the season so 
I, I don't. It's a weird season, isn't it? It's 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 mad that they, they can have sixty three points and, and be third. Um, and I think we'll get onto this piece a little bit later. But my David Moyes piece um, that I've written this morning in comparison to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's record in, in Moyes' season, he finished well. The, the team finished with sixty four points, and I know seven of those came under Ryan Giggs. But it's still, you know, United still need one more point to finish level on on that season that is regarded as you know a complete disaster, really, from a, a league perspective. So it's it's odd how you know points change over the seasons but listen you only have to as a manager you, you have to um to manage the season that you're in so horses for courses and, and this is the situation that United are in right now so a point last night against West Ham was actually not too bad really given that Leicester had lost so United probably are the, the third best team I mean like you <laughs> say the, the league you can't argue with the league that being said it's a, it's a crucial game on Sunday um I, I suppose you know at the, at the moment they they have dipped from the levels that we saw at Villa, at Brighton, um, against Sheffield United, against Bournemouth, that, that were really exciting football going forward. It was it was ponderous against West Ham. Um, I, I know Pogba was criticised for the handball penalty, which you know it is a reaction. But come on, if that's your natural reaction, you know that, that you're going to be giving away penalties quite frequently. Or you know, don't be in the wall. It is, it's just so, so frustrating to concede a goal in those circumstances when Declan Rice's free kick was going well wide into the Stretford end but I think in general his play was quite pedestrian I don't know if that is a tiredness thing I don't know if that is where he's playing he feels it's on Bruno Bruno the onus is on Bruno to kind of go and make things happen I thought Bruno was trying too hard a lot of the time last night although he did sort of seem to settle down a little bit uh, midway through the game but as Andy says these these guys that were, were assuming the mantle previously sort of have, have dipped a little bit and I, I kind of just envisage that Sunday is going to be a kind of limp over the line Leicester aren't in great form either it's sort of who, who wants it? You know, it's not really who wants it the most. It's who who can avoid losing it the least. One of the big things that I spotted watching at home on television was Brandon Williams, who didn't look the most confident against Jared Bowen. Uh, when you talk about United limping over the line near the end of the seasons, do you think that squad rotation is the key, or is it a, probably a mentality problem? It's probably a bit of both. The best United teams have always rotated the squad, even when wildly unpopular decisions have been made, players being dropped for cup finals because there's another cup final a few days away, and United aren't at that level uh, at all. And I think you mentioned Brandon Williams, and maybe I can say the same about Mason Greenwood. They both had incredible breakthrough seasons, especially Greenwood, but teenage players are invariably inconsistent. They just are. There's not, not been any exceptions to that. I was watching a teen, Lionel Messi, and everyone saw his wondrous goals, but maybe they didn't see it when he had a pretty flat game away at, at, at Levante. Um, Williams didn't have a great game against West Ham. I spoke to one of the coaches, interestingly, at Bruges away in February, and, and he'd said, we, were, we, we expected Brandon to kick on even more than he has done in the first team. He's, he's that good. So maybe he will go through various spurts and get better and better and better. That's the ideal case scenario. But I actually thought Luke Shaw was missed in that match. Um, Fosu Mensa, I'm really surprised I've seen him play in the United shirt again. I was told over a year ago um, that he hadn't done well when he'd gone out on loan. And I was surprised when he got offered a new contract at Old Trafford and surprised when I saw him named at Crystal Palace last week. But he did well. Didn't do so well against uh, West Ham. Uh, Greenwood, he can be 
absolute dynamite. He can change games. Thankfully, uh, he got the goal against West Ham, but there's other games where he's he's pretty anonymous, and that was one reason why Igalo was brought in. That was following a game at Manchester City way in the League Cup semi-final where uh, Greenwood didn't really didn't really do much. So. Ollie knows all of these things. I think he's quite pragmatic. I think he's quite sensible. He doesn't make daft decisions. He knows he's got to bring two or three players in. He's been pretty consistent with that. But he also has to work within a financial uh, frame as well. Now, if Marcus Rojo and Alexis Sanchez were not being paid by Manchester United, that would help. If Phil Jones was sold or Jesse Lingard was sold, that would help too. But we're entering into an unknown transfer market because of the the economic situation, which no one really knows where it's going to lead to, how strong or weak the market's going to be. But the team needs strengthening. Look at the gap between United, not just in Liverpool, but, but City as well. I do think United will be better next season. But United have got to be putting in a, a title challenge, the first one since 2013. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that. And to do that, I do think the team needs strengthening. I think most United fans would agree with that. Do you agree with it, Laurie? Absolutely. I think that's the the, the primary uh, objective now in the summer, really. I would argue that if United do qualify for the Champions League on Sunday, it should be hit the button on Sancho. <laughs> you know, it should, you know, I know that Dortmund are obviously asking for a price, and and United, you know, are looking at a lower uh, price. But clearly, there's a, a meeting in the middle that can be done. Just do it, do it quickly. You know, you look at Chelsea, the, the moves they're making. Um, you, you can hear um, sort of stories of, about what Manchester City are planning to do. So I, I think certainly that's something United need to do because I think the what Solskjaer is doing, and I, I think you're right, Carl, in, in asking, you know, could he rotate more? You know, um, there, there's some players that haven't featured that were doing well before lockdown came. Fred and, and Scott McTominay case in point they, they, they've not really been seen much um, since football's returned but I think ultimately Solskjaer's answer to, to my question last night about um, the substitutions he, he basically said you know that the, the guys out there Rashford, Marshall, Greenwood, Bruno were his best chance of getting a winning goal which I think indicates that he, he doesn't feel for as much as Igalo's come in and done really well and obviously he did get a, a bit of a run out towards the end he doesn't feel that there's that quality strength in depth to change a game to make a difference maybe he could have shored it up you know with a with a McTominay or a Fred but would they have, have, have instantly adjusted to the pace of the game late on I don't know it, there's a sort of there's an element of risk in that itself I think ultimately that's what he'll be looking at he'll be looking to strengthen you know you hear Ryan Giggs you hear Gary Neville talk about the fact that the you know United need two or three this summer I, I would I would go along with that you know um, if they're actually to to challenge the likes of Liverpool and Man City because you, you look at you look at Man City's um, sort of bench, for example. You know, against Watford, you, you know, you had David Silva, Ilkay Gundogan, Fernandinho, Riyad Mahrez came on. Benjamin Mendy, oh, he, he cost about fifty million. John Stones, you know, he cost about the same. So that's that's the level that United are, are competing against. I know they've spent money in the past, um, but you know, it's perhaps not been totally wisely spent. And also, I think you have to trust Solskjaer now with the record that he's had in the market to give him the money to go and spend again and and make sure that United are a complete squad because I think that's shown now in this dip-off that United have had that, that, that that quality strength in depth isn't quite there. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part 
of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. And now I've got some fantastic drilling outside my flat. Um, hey, listen, we, Carl, we've all had interruptions this week. Laurie here asked Ollie Gunner a question the other day. You know, he's got his moment there in the spotlight. Uh, next question, please, Laurie Whitwell. And Laurie's got a decent question. Next thing, bing, bing, bing. His phone starts going off. I heard he'd ordered a pizza at 10 past 10 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard. It was from a good source. It was a trusted source. It was a person who told me that um, Alex Ferguson was going to be sacked a week before it happened. The person who told me that United were into Sancho. Laurie, go on. So if I had a pizza at ten o'clock in the morning, it wouldn't be one that I'd freshly ordered. It'd be one from the night previous. So that, I can I can I can rule that one out. But all I'm saying is that we have to text to say that we're going to ask a question, and if certain people had text earlier you know, ahead of time, then my phone would not have been pinging when I was allowed my question for, for Ola Gunnar. So I'm sort of trying to sway, sway you off uh, criticising me there. But I know if, if it had been Roy Keane, I would have had that death stare, you know, like the one at Ipswich where he, uh, <laughs> the guy's phone goes off a couple of times and he looks like he wants to kill him. But um, fortunately, Solskjaer was a bit more pleasant with me. I was told a story about Keane when he was at Ipswich that a local journalist turned up at his house after he'd been sacked with a bunch of flowers for him and his wife. And like, you know, the guy had worked locally for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. He was a straight guy who reported on Ipswich Town and uh, Roy answered the door, took the flowers and said, don't you ever come to my house again. Oh, wow. (laughs) He can be absolutely brutal. I love him to bits, but he can be brutal, as you may may gather. (laughs) Laurie, I want to dip into your piece about the difference between Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Moises' tenure at Manchester United. It's a great piece that uh, starts from a Moises quote, before the 1-1 draw, where he said the main difference between him and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was that Solskjaer got more time as the United boss. Yeah, I mean, factually he is correct. You know, obviously he was sacked after seven months and Ole Gunnar's looking at um, 19 months now. So, you know, it's definitely the case that Solskjaer's been afforded more time than Moyes had. Um, I suppose maybe it's a bit harsh of me to, to pick out that one quote and, and, and delve into it a bit more and, and sort of just point out the differences run deeper though. Um, I just felt that it doesn't give the full story if, if Moyes is, is sort of saying that he didn't give he didn't get enough time and that was the only factor you know, between him and Solskjaer because Solskjaer's done things that, that Moyes hasn't done. Not only might he actually qualify for the Champions League, which is something that United had lost out on by the time that he was sacked, um, you know, I think the aspiration of Solskjaer is different to what Moyes came into. And, and listen, maybe Moyes has changed since that point, but I think he he was Everton manager and there's, there's that quote about the, the blood draining from his face when he was told that he was going to be United manager, which just sort of indicates the scale that he was then going into. Whereas I think with Solskjaer, he's always prepared you know, himself for this. He's always hoped that he might get the United job. He's always felt that he could do it. Um, so it's a different mentality, I suppose, from, from, from both of them. And, and this isn't to denigrate David Moyes as a manager because he did very good work at Everton um, and he's doing good work at, at West Ham now. But I think perhaps that's where he, he does do his best work at a club with perhaps more limited resources that can play like West Ham did last night. You know, they, they were 
mainly defensively rigorous you know it, it wasn't a expansive performance and there's those quotes from the time where he talks about making life difficult for, for Newcastle United visiting Old Trafford and just that is not something that I think players or, or fans want to hear from a Manchester United manager they want you know aggressive approach um, on the front foot you know attacking football uh, and Solskjaer just by chance he wasn't actually referring to Moyes in this but in his pre-match for the West Ham game, he spoke about how it's 90-10 in terms of looking at themselves and the opposition before a game. So, you know, 10% on the opposition and 9% on, on themselves. And I, I sort of wonder if, if the balance was was always the case with Moyes, that, you know, you'd often look at the opposition in, in forensic detail, um, which is obviously no bad thing. You know, you do want to see who you're playing against, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a balance, there's a tipping point in, in that. So that was kind of the piece. You might call it a bit of a drive-by given, you know, Moyes has just answered a question honestly, as, as he has done numerous times in the past but I kind of just felt that I wanted to just get into that a little bit uh, and obviously you know there was there was memes primed weren't there you know if, if Moyes had gone and won at Old Trafford you, you can guarantee that on social media on, on, on Twitter there would have been you know David Moyes denying United Champions League football in 2014 and now in 2020 so the draw sort of puts that you know a little bit to, to bed um, albeit you know it might still come back to haunt United but that was kind of the, the premise of the piece so it wasn't supposed to be massively massively critical of David Moyes but just a sort of you know perhaps uh, just a reminder that actually there was a few more things other than just being given time that, that Moyes got wrong. Louis van Gaal said some interesting quotes around about this time last year about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saying he the type of football he was playing wasn't too different from previous United managers only that it was successful um, Andy, I understand you have uh, experience with David Moyes. Is there a market difference between the way he managed United to the way Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is doing it right now? Yeah, I think Laurie touched on a good point where Ole looks much more comfortable as United manager than David did. And there were some times when David Moyes spoke to the media and I just thought, your message is all mixed up here. It's all mangled. You look like you're a man seriously under pressure because he was a man who was seriously under pressure. Um, I, I know David, I like him as a person. I think he's a good man. I think he's doing very well at West Ham. I'm not going to pretend that his nine months at Manchester United was uh, successful. It wasn't. It was close to a disaster. And the day after he left, I got a text off him saying, will you pass on a message to United fans from me, just apologising that I've not been able to get the results they've been used to, but I really thank them uh, for, for their support. And I saw him a lot when he, he came to Spain. I did the first interview with him after he'd left Manchester United. And I, I said, you know, your message sometimes was so mangled. And I, I wanted to tell you. And he said, well, why didn't you? And he was at fault. Of course he got things wrong. He, he, he's ponderous with players. I always remember uh, a lad I know, um, an agent, putting Stephen Pienaar into him at Everton and David was so ponderous about him and he went on for ages and Pienaar went on to be one of his best best players and that I think initially was only a, a loan signing but there are there other factors David was let down by several of his players they took their foot off the gas he was getting undermined by several players and people within the club and there was a lot that season of well, Fergie didn't used to do it this way. And that, that wouldn't help any manager coming in. I think it would have been difficult for any manager to follow Sir, Sir Alex, just as it was managers following Sir Matt Busby. Uh, there were similar trends there. Sir Alex Ferguson kept in the background throughout all this. Players wanted to go and see him at his house to say, look, this, this just isn't working out. Uh, but David Moyes wasn't helped either by the fact that 
David Gillard stepped down. Uh, it was Edward first season. He's learned a lot. Um, the, the the transfer fiasco was a fiasco. Sex Fabregas was told them that he wanted to come to Old Trafford, and United were played by Fabregas. There was the stuff about Seamus Coleman. Fellaini ended up coming in at the end. So lots of people are guilty here. And, and as manager, David's obviously got to take a lot of the responsibility for that. And people remember the horror shows, uh, you know, the, the, the crosses going in against Fulham. But there were some cracking performances as well. I remember absolutely destroying by Leverkusen away. And I spoke to him a lot of times since. And it, one, one thing I love is... Probably his highlight was when Patrice Evra scored a goal away at Bayern Munich and suddenly Man United were beating Bayern Munich away in the Champions League quarter-final. And Davey just said, I just looked up at the United end. Everyone was going absolutely mad. And he just said, I wanted the referee to blow the whistle. Just please blow it. Blow it now. Unfortunately, there were 40 minutes left and Bayern uh, just went on, scored and scored and scored again. So there, there are always mitigating factors. One of the main criticisms of David Moyes was that he let Eric Steele go, uh, Mike Phelan, Rennie Mullenstein. I totally get that. I probably agree with it. But from his perspective, everyone takes their own players in football, their own coaches. That's that's what it is. David had been had had coaches working with him for years and wanted to be loyal to them, and for them to come along on the ride with him, it it just didn't work out. And he's long maintained if he'd had more time, he would have done things differently. But I've spoke to loads of players who say he was undermined. He was let down by his big name players, several of them. So throw it all into the mix. The bottom line is that people do not have fond memories of David Moyes being Manchester United manager. And I can understand that. And when you're losing 3-0 at home to City and then Liverpool, that's always going to be the way. It's tough at the top. Harry's sponsors Talk of the Devils podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Harry knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. There's a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So, if you're in the middle of lockdown and your beard isn't quite the way you want it i recommend getting a bit of harry's and the great news is as a listener of talk of those podcasts you can start shaving with harry's today by claiming your trial set for three pound 95 support our podcast and you can get your set delivered to you including a razor handle a five blade cartridge foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover by going to harry's.com slash talk of the devils right now that's harry's.com slash talk of the devils andy I hear rumour you were watching the FA Cup semi-final with a certain Mr Andy Cole. Well, we could have chosen a better game, couldn't we? But <laughs> I, I, Andy's moved to, to London about 18 months ago to be closer to his uh, six sisters uh, who keep a good eye on him. And he's someone who needs an eye keeping on him because he's had a, a pretty turbulent few years with, with health issues and personal issues. But I really, really like that man. Um, he, I've liked him for a long, long time. I think he's a good human and he wasn't a bad footballer either. And I thought, if I can sit on his sofa and watch the game through his eyes, he knows far more about what a top-level striker should be doing than I do. And it was just really interesting to listen to him. Um, he really rates uh, Igolo, for example, because he thinks that he brings something different to Manchester United's attack. But yeah, we chose the wrong game. But just to see him picking up on bits. So when the dots went on, and everyone's looking at Eric Bailly and Harry Maguire, Andy focuses on the doctor, 
because he's been treating him and been helping him. Or when it goes to Gareth Southgate in the stand, he just goes, there's Gate. Gate? Yeah, everyone calls him Gate. Well, I don't. I, no, I didn't know this. Well, you don't know him. I, I do. And he's Gate, and he's a good guy. <laughs> and he tells me why Gate is a good guy, or Frank Lampard, or Jody Morris. Um, I think Andy, he works as an ambassador for Manchester United. He's predisposed for Manchester United to do well. And... He, he, I think he's broadly optimistic, but Sunday was 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 a horror show. Um, he didn't hide that. Uh, his his health is bad. He was looking really good when I saw him uh, a few months ago. Lockdown's been very tough for him, but yeah, he, he he's a top man. But the day before, I was in London and I went to a shop and I noticed that the the shop manager or assistant had a Lancashire accent, and he said he was from Burnley. He said, what are you doing down here? And I said, I'm a football journalist. I'm down for the FA semi-final. Oh, you're going to Wembley, are you? So, well, actually, no, I'm going to watch it. Uh, a former player. Who? Andy Cole. Burnley legend. I said, what? <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even remember that Andy Cole had played for Burnley. He said, Rem- remember? I was in the away end at QPR hat-trick. You, you, you Google it. You look at how he celebrated in front of us. He's a Burnley legend. I know he played for them, them being Blackburn, their local rivals. I know he played for you, you being Manchester United. But he's a Burnley legend, and I'm not having it any other way. So I told Andy this, and, and that brought another smile to his face. And he, he loves to look back at, at his great memories, and I'm just happy that most of his greatest moments were as a, a Manchester United player. Listener, you can enjoy Andy's piece talking to Andy Cole with some really interesting tidbits about Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford. On The Athletic right now, you can get a 30-day free trial by going to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod because I don't really want to dwell too much on that defeat to Chelsea. In short, they went three at the back and it didn't quite work out because there were far too many gaps. Right, some further questions from me. Laurie, Andy, I'm going to throw this to you, Laurie, first. Should United make changes for Sunday and are they going to make top four? Yeah, it's a real, well, it's a knife-edge one now, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, the fact that they only need to draw, how does that play into it? It's a bit like those European away games where you've got a 1-0 lead from the first leg. What do you do? Do you, do you sort of stick or twist? Um, I, c- I can see um, a couple of changes, you know, actually. I wouldn't be surprised if McTominay or Fred comes back in in, in, that, in that midfield. Um, I actually thought Matic was OK um, you know, last night compared to what some other people thought, but I, I wouldn't. it would then at least mean that... Solskjaer's got options on the bench to change it if the, you know the game doesn't necessarily pan out as United hope. So you know I could poss- possibly see that. And I, you know it's only going to be what Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four days. You know before between games they did look quite tired. Um, yeah, I could see some changes, and it's also uh, you know as we touched on earlier, it's going to be a test of the mental strength because we've seen a few times this season now at, at those moments of, of crunch. They haven't quite stepped up. So talking the home leg in the Carabao Cup semi-final against Man City, you know they had that mad ten minutes. You know that ultimately cost them in, in the in the tie. The FA Cup semi-final, as we've touched on. Sorry to bring it up again, Carl, but the, you know that that game it was a you know an opportunity there to go and, and reach Wembley and, and win a piece of silverware didn't happen. You know the game against Southampton where United, if they'd won, would have um, gone into the top three. It would have been pretty much would, would have been home home and hose by now um, if they'd have won that game. Ended up sitting back, looking a bit you know cautious, a bit nervous. You know Southampton got a late equaliser, so all those feelings will be playing into Sunday's game. I think I think United will come through it ultimately because not only because of, of what it all, it really does mean to the club and the way that you know the side will I assume just go hell for leather towards the end if it's not going their way. But also you look at Leicester's form 
Um, it's been, you know, very, very poor for, for, for a while now. Uh, you know, I know they've had sort of decent wins in, in sort of patches um, even since lockdown, you know, against Sheffield United, against um, Palace. But I, I think they've, you know, they're missing a few players through injury. Um, I do sort of worry about Jamie Vardy, you know, on the break against United. Uh, the are perhaps going to be spacing behind um, running at Maguire and Lindelof. That's a, that's a, that's a threat there. But, I, you know, I think Leicester aren't in their, their greatest form at the moment. So that's kind of given me a bit more faith that United can do it. And I suppose you, you've got the Chelsea aspect as well. It's not going to be a, a you know, cakewalk to, for them to go and beat Wolves necessarily. So, you know, there's a sort of insurance policy there. Andy, same questions. Should United make changes? And are they going to make top four? I've seen the point that Laurie makes about United freezing at big moments, and I get that. But I also would say when they really needed a win or not to lose against Liverpool in October, United played well. Same at the start of December against Tottenham at Old Trafford, huge game. And I remember saying at the time, when it, United really needed a result, Oli Gunnar gets a result. And then there was a derby at Manchester City a few days later, and, and United won again. And what was baffling was United would then go to Watford away and lose. I think Watford had won one in 17. Um, Vardy, yeah, like Laurie, I, I'm worried about him. But if you want any player who knows Vardy well, then that is Harry Maguire. I'm not saying he's got his pace because he hasn't, but he knows how to play him, having played against him in training uh, for years. You can pick out United's faults, but you know Chelsea have won one game against uh, one of eight games against sides in in the top four or or five. United are still unbeaten. Leicester have had some absolute horror results, and United against Leicester is actually one of the few games where United have been consistent in recent years. Won there last year, won at Old Trafford, won the season before. That was the first game of the season in 2018. Leicester played really well. I remember being really impressed by James Madison that day. But United have been winning the matches against Leicester City. So I'm nervous. I, I, I am nervous. I do think United will just about scrape through. Um, I was absolutely delighted that Liverpool Football Club won a, a match uh, against Chelsea. And that's not a sentence I would often say. But they've, just, they've got to do it. And if United don't do it, then really the mood will sour massively. Um, and it will seem like all the hard work that's been done will be for nothing. Because, as Laurie said, United have got to be in the Champions League. The club is structured to be in the Champions League and there's another factor one which will never be made public but the players wages are miles higher when they're in the Champions League and on about 20, 25, 30% higher and I'm not saying that any of them are motivated entirely by money but it was a talking point a couple of years ago and I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be a talking point now if those players get into the top four they'll be buzzing there should be no trophy parades there was no trophy anyway and this is only this is Man United. United should be in the Champions League season after season. So it does show how far the team have fallen. But no, if you've got to go to Leicester and avoid defeat, you've got to go to Leicester and avoid defeat. There it is, and Oli's got to do it. He's brought in to to manage the team in big game situations like this, and he's got to deliver. And so do his players. No excuses. Although I will remind listeners, this is the insurance policy of winning the Europa League. Yeah, you're right. Still time to get into our listener mailbag. Thank you so much, listeners, for uh, replying to our call out on social media and getting your questions. I've got one from uh, Mostafa 
Omar, which basically asks, do you think the approach for the Chelsea game was right? Not resting key players and then having to play three days later against West Ham and then playing Leicester on Sunday, whatever, the week's rest. And Manchester United have 48 hours less. Um, Laura, I want to throw this one to you. How do you rank that approach to the Chelsea game on the weekend? Um, I, I could see, I'm, I'm not going to sort of be an after-timer um, as, as a, one of my favourite podcasts, uh, a boxing one, Buncey always uses the after-timer um, sort of saying, you know, for people that change their views on things after um, the event. Uh, I'm not going to be an after-timer because before the game, I said I could see, you know, when the selections dropped, I could see that what Solskjaer was trying to do there, it, it that system had worked against Chelsea a couple of times you know, previously. Uh, he wanted to rotate it a little bit, um, but equally, you know, didn't want to you know, depart too much, I suppose, from the personnel that had, had been in good form. Um, so, so he can't, it's difficult for, for Solskjaer to win in this situation. He's kind of suffered from doing well and getting to that stage in, in the competition because other teams didn't have to contemplate this number of games this quickly you know we didn't know that it was going to happen like this you know before coronavirus struck so um i do have sympathy for him because if he you know you've got some people that say why did you change it at all you know stick with a winning team and you know they could have won other people are now saying well actually they should have changed it even more because you know they've lost that game and the performance against west ham wasn't great so it's 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 you know it's great hindsight's fantastic but i know personally i could see where he was coming from with that chelsea game um you know i, I suppose maybe you could have you could have changed it more you know a little bit if if you sort of thought that um the, the fatigue levels were, were anything to be concerned by. He obviously didn't really. Um, I suppose the one sort of um, issue I'd take up with him is, is the fact that he started De Gea over Romero in goal um, just because I think Romero's you know, played really well when he's been you know used in the Europa League and, and, and FA Cups and he, he played in all the games previously in the FA Cup so it was a bit surprising to, to put De Gea in he clearly feels that De Gea is the better goalkeeper so that's why he's done it but I would have thought you know um, sort of giving Romero that, that that carrot of playing at Wembley would have been would have been quite nice um, and obviously De Gea didn't have a great game in that one so um, but yeah I, I kind of I can see I can see why Solskjaer did what he did uh, I guess yeah he's got, he's got to just weigh it up now for Leicester and, and I think it'll be a case of United getting over the line energy-wise in that one, having a bit of a break and then the Europa League, as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's the insurance policy. But if it isn't, if it doesn't have to be the insurance policy, they can go into that tournament with a lot more freedom, the pressure's off really. Um, and that's what they'll be aiming for. Okay. We've got another question here from John McKenna that asks, for such a big imposing side, including players like Pogba, Matic, Maguire, McTominay, why is it that whenever Manchester United get a corner, they may as well give the opposition a goal kick? Um, why aren't United threatening enough on their own set pieces? Andy, you've been watching United more than anyone else. Do you think United are doing good corner routines at the moment? I don't think they were until Bruno Fernandes arrived. I don't think Harry Maguire had scored a goal. And then there was that game at Chelsea away. Fernandes bang, Maguire bang a win away at Chelsea in the league. Incredible result. And I like Laurie's point about after-timers. I call them Harry Hindsights. I don't think it's fair because at Chelsea that night, the team selection was absolutely battered online before the match and then silence afterwards. And people are always going to discuss it, but you can't have it both ways. Oli picked the team he felt would win the match. Sometimes it comes off surprisingly so. PSG away being the biggest surprise but that Chelsea game uh, when Maguire got that goal I do think Maguire's getting into more positions 
I think Fernandez um, delivers better uh, set pieces than any player at the club. Um, but clearly, um, United should be scoring more goals from corners. It's not happening enough. There was a chance at Wembley on Sunday where Maguire ended up having a free header towards the end and, and scuffed it a little bit. So that's definitely an area of improvement. I know that it was an area that the club worked on heavily during the mid-season break in Marbella. Um, Ollie told me that, and I think we've seen some results from that, but it's definitely an area where United need to be much more effective. And there's been times where, while I've praised Bruno for his delivery, there's been other times where corners have gone in and, and not been able to go over the front man. I think at Tottenham away, I think there's two or three corners where you're thinking, no, I could do better than that with my left foot. That's how bad they were. That's all for this week, listener. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Talk of the Devils. Thank you to Laurie. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. And thank you to Andy. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Laurie. We will be back sometime next week to recap and see whether or not Manchester United made the top four. And also, as as Laurie and Andy will probably uh, travel off to the continent as we begin our great Europa League tour. Football, it never really ends. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Talk of the Devils. Uh, Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll see you next week. <laughs>